Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. My name's Rich, so glad that you've decided to tune in today. Uh, we are celebrating, if you've been tuned in at all this month, you know we've been celebrating multi-site month here in October, and we're taking time out to really focus on the multi-site movement, and uh, we really could not talk about multi-site without getting Greg Ligon on. Greg is the Chief Operating Officer over at Leadership Network. I love these guys. They provide um, you know, not only tools, but resources and res- research to really help churches think about, and really the 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 kingdom think about 10xing how do we reach and impact more people and really greg has been at the very nub of the multi-site movement at the very heart of it from the beginning and so i am super happy to have him on the show today greg welcome to the show thanks so much rich it's a real privilege to be on with you today and excited to be able to share some of the new things i'm seeing happening in multi-site yeah, that's great. So why don't you tell us a little bit about, for the four people that are listening that don't know Leadership Network, but why don't you kind of tell us, give us an update, what, how does Leadership Network think about themselves these days, and uh, what are you guys doing these days that's kind of uh, you know exciting around your world? Sure, you bet. So Leadership Network, um, we've been doing a similar thing for a really long time, and that's getting uh, the leaders that are, that are leading the way in terms of new innovation in the church putting them in the same room with one another, allowing them to learn from one another, and then uh, taking what we hear and helping to communicate that to the broader church. So we've been at that for now over 35 years, uh, the organization has. And so that's kind of how the multi-site thing happened. That's how a whole lot of the innovations that we've been a part of and had an opportunity to be a catalyst in some of those movements have happened as we get the right people in the room and, uh, and they take it from there. Yeah. So if, if, when I think of the history of multi-site, uh, I really do see leadership network and I see you really at the core of that, that you were right there, um, early on really trying to spread this innovation from really a, um, you know, a kind of collection of churches to the broader, uh, kind of church, whatever you'd call it, industry or church community. Why don't you, before we jump into kind of where we're going in the future, why don't you tell us a little bit about your piece of the puzzle early on with some of those early groups gathering them together? What did that look like those years ago when you were you were pulling folks together to talk about this thing that became known as multi-site? <laughs> sure, you bet. So we actually do four things at Leadership Network. We listen, we convene, we collaborate, and we curate. And so it's kind of helpful to, for, to have that framework as I tell you a little bit about how we got engaged with multi-site. So uh, probably back in 1999, we our team was gathered at one of our leadership team meetings. And we've been over the previous months, had been talking about the conversations we'd had uh, with churches. And all of a sudden, we we realized we've got 120, 150 churches that are beginning to talk about I didn't really talk about multi-site back then, but they were talking about use of video or satellite. Um, really, was really more of the conversation back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we got to get, we got to figure out a way how to get these people in the same room to see uh, what God's doing in this space. And so we convened uh, the 120, or invited the 120 churches uh, for the first time. It ended up being on 9/11. Uh, we had mm-hmm. about half the churches that were there because they had already arrived in Chicago at uh, Community Christian Church, where we held the gathering. And that really was the beginning of some significant conversations. About uh, a year and a half later, we convened our first leadership community. 
Um, and we had a dozen churches in the room that are really the household names in terms of, in terms of multi-site today. But at that point in time, and I think it was April of 2003, many of them knew of one another, but didn't really know each other. So Life Church was in the room and Community Christian Church and Willow Creek and North Point and North Coast and a number of others were a part of those early conversations. Um, and as those, as those conversations continued, then that's when the collaboration really began to kick in. And some of the, the early pioneering churches began to do conferencing, and that really helped to spread the movement. Then that final piece is of curation. And that's as we learned from these churches, we were putting together concept papers. We began to do our research projects. We've done three of those or three or four of those, and we're actually in, about to launch a um, a new uh, research project here soon as well. Um, and Ooh, so that's kind of fantastic. how it's Yeah, it's amazing. I know uh, one of the things I've heard you told this great story about camp, the, the kind of phrase campus pastor, which I know in some ways is maybe falling out of vogue now, but for a lot of churches, we call it that. Uh, can you retell that story? I think it's a funny kind of, it's a great illustration of what the kind of role of leadership network has been uh, in the spread of innovation around the church. You bet. Uh, it's one of my favorite stories. And um uh, one of the things that we know is that as innovation happens and it, it begins begins to be spread beyond the initial pioneers um, and early adopters is it's spread by the creation of language. <clears throat> and so the, the meeting that I mentioned in April of 2003, when those 12 churches were gathered, uh, one of the conversations was about what do we call the person that leads this campus? And um, uh, it's interesting and nobody really had a name for it uh, except for one. And so one church said, well, we call him a campus pastor. Actually, if you look back now, all the guys are claiming that they were the ones who said it. Yes. But, but, uh, anyway, that's really where that that's where that role got birthed, right? And so six months yes. later, when we gathered our next group of churches, people came in using that. That was just part of the vernacular. That was a new role. Right? <laughs> a part of what it meant to be multi-studies, you had to have a campus pastor. Yeah, I love that. I love how, you know, this picture of uh, it goes from like no one really knows to like everybody's using it to become a, an assumed part of the picture. So the reason why you know I wanted you to share that, Greg, and for our listeners to listen in is you know G- Greg. I has, uh, I think, a really unique vantage point on multi-site because he not only has kind of seen it from its very beginnings to where it is today, but I think does provide an interesting horizon as we look to the future, kind of where is multi-site going, which is really where we want to spend some time today. When you think about the future of multi-site, you continue to gather leaders together and trying to learn. Uh, what are some of the things that you're seeing kind of on the horizon? Where is this movement uh, going in, in the coming years? Sure, you bet. There's... Um... We, uh, about 18 months ago, convened again some of those early churches that were a part of that very first meeting um, into what we Mm -hmm. now call um, a multi-site accelerator. Those were all churches that were saying, hey, we're continuing to do great work. We're continuing to grow. but We feel like we're kind of bumping up against some ceilings and we'd like to get some new input. And so we began to take these churches to corporate environments. We had took the first group of churches to uh, Marriott. We took them to Chick-fil-A. That group also went out to Google. And just th- through some of those interactions, beginning to see some new things kind of, of happening. One of the things is that kind of a rethinking of what the models are. Um, one of the things early on was, you know, everybody thought it was only about video. Um, and actually, historically, it's never been only about video. Even today, right. about 40% um, use video exclusively. Um, and so 
Um, that's an interesting piece. But they're beginning to think about new models as well. And some of the things that are were a part of some of those conversations that I'm seeing grow are the the whole digital space. Mm. Really beginning to think about what it means to uh, be digital. Uh, one of the great churches mm-hmm. that's doing some great work in this space is Crossroads uh, Church up in um, Cincinnati. And uh, mm-hmm. one of the things that they have they've actually they're actually beginning to measure not only who shows up on their physical campuses, but who is shows up on their online campuses and beginning to customize mm-hmm. their online feeds based on. Uh, uh, zip code areas. If you're logging in from a particular area, the same zip code as one of their campuses, then you're going to, you will likely get a customized stream that will feature the campus pastor um, of that campus. And interestingly enough, you mentioned that, you know, that campus pastor is kind of falling out of vogue. Well, that title is actually, we're really beginning to see some changes there. So for example, Crossroads doesn't call them campus pastors. They call them community pastors because those mm-hmm. leaders are responsible not only for the people that are showing up physically on their campus, but the people that are showing up online um, in the geographic area where their campus is as well. So just some kind of new things in terms of digital there. Um, continuing to see smaller and smaller phys- physical footprints. Um, so mm-hmm. churches are figuring out ways to get it done with a smaller uh, physical footprint and a, a lower capital investment as, as well. Um, one of the really interesting things that I'm seeing in terms of uh, rethinking models, and there's a couple of versions of this, but Christ Fellowship um, down in Palm Beach Gardens is doing what they call pop-up church. And so they have mm-hmm. one of their campuses is a mobile site, always will be a mobile site just because of the facility that they're in. And so when we were together at Marriott, they said, gosh, I wonder um, what it would look like if we were to take the that pro- or the um, equipment that we just load in and out the same every Sunday into the same site. What if once a month or a couple of times a month, we actually took the equipment, went to another area um, of our region where we think we might want to have a campus and do pop-up church. And so they're, they're experimenting with that, going into a new area, doing a shorter term lease, uh, maybe, maybe one Sunday a month for six months and running the program mm-hmm. and seeing what kind of response they have. So some new models that are happening there as well. Yeah, that's interesting. I know Liquid Church in New Jersey, where I used to serve, they're doing that, um, or they did that over the summertime, uh, where, and I joke with them because they were down the shore in like a beautiful part of New Jersey every Saturday uh, over the summer, but it was exactly the set for that reason, to kind of seed, to understand, you know, to gain some traction, and they took existing infrastructure that they had, they were ran a Saturday night service. Um, you know, in a new location, you know, th- really around the same kind of idea. That's that's fascinating. Uh, you know, on the digital front, let's talk a little bit about that. I get, um, you know, I think right from the beginning, the kind of church online piece has been a piece of this equation. Uh, what are people doing that's maybe a little bit different on that front that are seeing, you know, kind of the digital intersecting with with multi-site um, rather than just like, oh, yes, we have, you know, we have a podcast or we, you know, there was a time where that was innovative. It's not innovative anymore. Um, you know, when we, you know, we, rather than just, we're displaying our content, how are, how are churches seeing kind of the digital expression really connecting with the physical and how do those work together? Sure. You bet. So a couple of things I would say, one is there continue to be refinements and kind of new innovations just in terms of what it means to have an online campus. And so we're seeing churches Mm -hmm. do more and more beyond just broadcasting of a weekend experience. Uh, So you're seeing some of that as well, but 
We're also seeing some things in the digital space that aren't just about the online campus. You mentioned podcast and, you know, churches are doing that, but I'm beginning to see some doing that in a very targeted way. And so what they're doing is mm. they're using a podcast to reach to um, a particular audience, a demographic in their community mm-hmm. that might mm-hmm. not otherwise be attracted to church. Um, and so they're kind of starting mm-hmm. there and using that as, an, as a calling card, if you would, or an introduction to the church um, uh, by having a podcast so because of the podcast and the popularity of those that are happening these days. Another example, <clears throat> this is another example from Crossroads Church, actually. Crossroads has a app that they call Crossroads Connect. Um, you can mm-hmm. actually you log on to the app, uh, and they because of the geotargeting capabilities, they know where people are logging on, you know, uh, to onto their app. And so they're doing a couple things mm-hmm. with that. One is they're using that as an opportunity to build community. And so, for example, I'm in Dallas, mm-hmm. Texas. Crossroads is in Cincinnati, Ohio, and whenever I was on the phone uh, interviewing one of their guys and learning about this app, I pulled that up on my on my computer, logged in, put in my zip code, and there were within about a 10-mile radius of me, 15 to 20 people that were on the app. And there's the ability mm-hmm. to reach out and connect to them, um, which I did. I've actually had coffee with a couple of people that were a direct result of that, it's amazing. that connection. The other cool thing that's happening with that is um, it gives the ability for ministry to happen. So for example, uh, Brian tells a story about a former member of their church that had uh, was on the app. They were in another part of the country. They had a family member in Seattle that was in a uh, was in an accident. Was in a hospital. They logged on. They were able to identify someone that was near the hospital uh, where their family member was. And this person went to the hospital, met with the family, who, in- interestingly enough, were not believers. And Three weeks later, the guy's out of the hospital in church and baptized. And so just some real cool ministry opportunities that are happening through that as well. And then the last piece I would say with that in terms of how they're using digital is is they begin to see concentrations of people in cities or or regions. Um, They're kind of different benchmarks that they have. So if there's a certain number that are showing up in their space, they may send someone out uh, from their team or a member of their church that. Uh, to send out to kind of live there and begin to communicate and begin to build community. And then once they get to a certain level, then that, mm-hmm. that may be a place they would actually launch a physical campus. So that's, I think those are some new innovations I'm seeing in terms of um, how the online space and digital space in general is being used. Yeah, that's amazing. We had Dave Vance from Crossroads on uh, the podcast. Great, great leader, fantastic uh, church. That's one of those churches that people should be tracking. They've been, you know, over an extended period of time, done some, you know, super innovative, uh, you know, stuff for sure. Um, now, when you think about kind of uh, multi-site and its impact on, um, you know, the the broader church culture, I, I personally, I know from my seat, I um, have been amazed that it's continued to grow and that it's continued to um you know, seems to, it doesn't seem to be slowing down. It seems like, Hey, it's, there continues to be, it's really become kind of the next, the thing that churches do when they're, when they grow or if they're growing, um, you know, the shorthand that I've said in many contexts is it seems like any church that's growing is either in the process of launching a campus or already has campuses, um, which I realize not 
every church is growing, but in that segment that are, when you think about the future, do you, what's the, you know, what is the future bright for multi-site? Uh, you know, there's a, there's a movement to kind of un-multi-site to get out of doing campuses. Um, you know, what's your thoughts on that? When you look to the future, you know, what do you think it's kind of as a model or as an approach it's, it's shelf life is. Yeah. So, I mean, overall, um, and we'll have some more data here before too awful long, but overall, we're not seeing any slowing down. Um, there are mm-hmm. some, um, there are some churches and it's interestingly, interestingly enough, it's, it's a handful of churches, not a, um, even a percentage point of churches that are, right. making, are moving their, from their multi-site model to independent campuses, kind of releasing the campuses as, excuse me, as independent church plants. Um, and the ones that I've been most intimately involved with, it's less about that multi-site's not working, not effective. And it's more about either a structural or a leadership change that's happened in a church or just a, you know, a philosophical um, decision that they've made to, hey, we really want to be more about planting than we want to be about um, adding campuses. So as a whole, um, I think the future is bright in terms of the growth of it. I think the other thing that's going to be very interesting is to begin, we mentioned a couple of the kind of the new models, but some other things that are happening just in terms of how multi-site gets executed. I think some of that's going to change. I think we're going to begin to see more and more kind of niche opportunities and creative partnerships um, that are beginning to happen. Um, Even from the beginning, we had some of that, but that's kind of been accelerated uh, in terms of kind of new places and beginning to use other people's space. One of the things when we were at Marriott, um, that was very interesting is that Marriott owns at that point in time owned 5,700, excuse me, they had 5,700 uh, hotels, but they only owned mm-hmm. 16 of those and everything else was managed yeah. through an owner operator kind of relationship. And so that caused churches mm-hmm. to begin to think about, okay, how can we add campuses without having to have um, as significant of a capital investment as we do if we're going to build a campus out. And so, you know, a couple of things that are, you know, coming out in, in that space, Community Christian Church has partnered with Aspen Group and they have a community sports facility that they've uh, co-built and uh, Aspen's kind of managing that and running that as a community a service to the community. And then Community uh, Christian is using that, you know, as a as one of their venues, you know, for a campus. And they also have a very unique partnership that's really at the early stages of beginning to happen. But um, they have a partnership with the Alpha program. And Alpha is now beginning to take that program into prisons. And they've asked the community to, um, in the prisons they go in to take Alpha, to consider establishing campuses inside the prisons. And so I think we're going to see more and more of those kind of creative um, uh, applications of multi-site as we uh, move into the next uh, uh, 10 years or so. Yeah, I love that. I love this idea of you know multi-site churches uh, really saying, okay, we've kind of figured out a part of how to multiply. Now let's try it in a, maybe a little bit of a different environment or try it with a maybe a different partner, not necessarily cookie cutter in the exact same location. Let's find another movie theater and do it in there. Uh, but let's try something different. I, I love that. I can see how that happens. You know, one of the persistent things that I've run across many, many times as I've talked with churches is there seems to be a sticking point. Churches seem to be stuck at, and you'll probably know the statistic, you know, it's two or three locations, 50% of them ends up somewhere in that in that location. Now, in that number, 
But I never heard, or I've never heard a church get into multi-site saying we're going to launch two locations and never go anymore. You know, we're, you know, everybody seems to do some version of like we're going to have one location within, you know, thirty minutes of everybody in the multiplex, or you know, every campus and every uh, campus in every county, or some, you know, very sticky statement like that. Why do you think churches seem to get stuck at that two or three? You know, what? Why? Why is that seem to be a persistent problem with multi-site? Yeah, I think. I think it probably, I mean, there's probably a number of drivers depending on the situation, but I think probably one of the central ones um, has to do with uh, the support structures they put in place. Mm. Um, Oftentimes, you know, when you launch your first campus, I would say on the whole, most churches uh, don't really um, add a whole lot of additional staff outside. They may add a campus pastor, um, but they're mm-hmm. they're kind of using existing staff and kind of doubling up their some of their responsibilities. And you're kind of able to do that depending on how the proximity of the campus. But you're able to do that when you get to three campuses, it really becomes a stretch. And then and then whenever you mm-hmm. jump beyond that, you really have to make some pretty significant changes in terms of structure and then just overall your vision and commitment. Uh, to multi-site as a whole. It's, that's really the place when you kind of move from three to four where you have to make the leap to say um, from a cultural perspective in a programming, a programmatic perspective as well, we're going to move from being a church with campuses to being a church of campuses. That changes mm-hmm. a whole lot of the conversations. Um, when you do that, you mm-hmm. can no longer have a conversation about men's ministry or missions or kids ministry without uh, uh, exploring the implications of that for all your campuses. And so I, I think that's just a pretty hard um, cultural leadership shift to make. Um, and it also mm. is kind of that, it's kind of that, um, that uh, bridge that there's some financial investment that has to be made in order to make that jump as well. And that's typically mm. when churches will add those that move beyond three or four, they typically add a multi-site director or an executive pastor that's mm-hmm. over multi-site that's kind of, you know, waking up in the morning and going to bed at night thinking about where the next location is going to be and how do we develop leaders and, and how you do all that. So I think that's part of, of the thing as well um, that kind of that uh, slows up people once they get past three. Yeah. You mentioned there too, a piece that I, and I totally agree with all that. That's, you know, there's that, that, kind of transition internally from like, yeah, let's try this to know this is the future. This is, you know, we've seen it work. Um, we ha- we've kind of got a taste of it. You know, I've had the the weird privilege of working in uh, two of the three churches I've worked in the last 15 years have kind of jumped over that, have gone to six, seven locations. The meeting house is actually at 21 now, which is crazy. Um, but, and, and I know in those environments, it, the part of that puzzle was the financial piece that you talked about there. It was getting kind of the financial engine figured out so that we didn't have to always keep going back to people one more time and like explain to them why this next community was the most important community for us to launch a campus in. Because, you know, frankly, you can do that a couple times, but you can't do that six, seven, 21 times. You just can't do that. Um, you've got to figure out a way to fund it internally or through, you know, some sort of process so that you can, you know, just continue to see it become, you know, a new part of, or just kind of a regular part of what you do. It becomes a part of who you are rather than send, you know, than a unique thing that you're constantly uh, launching for sure. Right. And I think that, you know, one of the keys there is, is the, um, just the crucial importance of casting vision mm, for this. True. I mean, we all know, we, we, you name it, there's somebody has their perspective on, on vision in terms of, 
you know, vision leaks, vision has to be repeated seven times, you know, every three minutes. I mean, whatever that is. <laughs> yes, yes. We know it's an important piece. And I think that churches that make that jump also have a senior leader who understands that. Mm. And they are incredibly effective at communicating that in a, not in an artificial way or an awkward way, but in a very consistent way, hey, that we're a church with multiple locations. Mm-hmm. I mean, the master at this is Craig Groeschel, mm-hmm. and I, I'm talking with senior pastors about this. I say, go and, and listen to the first 15 minutes, of 15 of Craig's sermons. Right. And there's rarely a week that goes by that he does it in some form or fashion comment on the fact that they're multi-site. And it may be mm-hmm. as simple as saying, hey, we are so excited about what's going on in Tulsa, or mm-hmm. we're really glad to welcome a new part of our family that's you know coming to us from Yukon, Oklahoma, or you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's, so it's very natural. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as a result, I think he's built this culture that um, uh, that people, when they start to raise money for a new campus or doing those kind of things, people don't, almost don't even see it as being other than the campus that they're at. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just... Okay, it's a part of who we are. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course we're going to do that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I think that's an important piece of it as well. Nice. All right. Well, as we're kind of coming down to land here, I, this is probably an unfair question I'm about to ask you, and hopefully our relationship can sustain this, Greg. But you have a real, you know, amazing vantage point because you see a lot of churches across the country. You're connected with a lot of different people. Who would be one or two other churches that maybe folks haven't heard of um, that we should be following? That we should, you know, check them out on Instagram, subscribe to their podcast to kind of be like, hey, they're they're a church that's maybe folks don't know, but they're doing an amazing job. Who would that be and and why would you think that would be good for us to kind of follow along with them sure you bet i think one of the best kept secrets in terms of multi-site is uh, lcbc in lancaster Mm -hmm. uh, pennsylvania david ashcraft Mm -hmm. is a senior pastor there and uh, they are just growing by leaps and bounds and um, have a great model the other thing that i really love about uh, their church and their team is they, I mean, they're committed to multi-site, but they're also committed to really impacting, they're really focusing in on Pennsylvania. And so um, as they think about one of the things that, as they were a part of our accelerator, one of the things that came out of those conversations um, was the fact that they want to not just add campuses, they want to be able to add resource to churches all over Pennsylvania uh, that will help spread mm-hmm. the gospel as well. So I think they're doing some really, some things really, really well and great leadership and great teams there. Um, another church that I love is Sun Valley Church out in the Phoenix area. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And they're just doing some great work too. They're, they've really engaged uh, with us um, in the work that Leadership Network is doing around with big data. Um, and learning mm-hmm. how to use data to increase um, outreach and also increase engagement in the context of your church. And so they're a great one to follow. They launched a, they uh, launched their fifth campus, I believe it was. The previous four had uh, kind of settled in at 400 before they started to grow, and they u- began to use big data, targeted an area where they knew they were going to launch this campus, um, advertised um in a, in a, through Facebook, primarily a little bit of direct mail, but to about a third of the people mm-hmm. that they would typically um, advertise to and, and promote the launch of the mm-hmm. campus to. And they were really tar- targeted on these folks that because of the big data, they knew had an affinity toward things of faith and an affinity, affinity toward healthy relationships. So they launched with this series on healthy relationships. They had 2,100 people show up at their, at their uh, preview service. And then that settled in at 1,200 uh, for was kind of their launch base. 
And of that 1,200, they knew that 75% of those uh, had not previously been involved in the church because of the fact that big data gives them access to kind of household level data. So Sun Valley, great church. They're doing lots of great things, but that's just one of the places that um, that they're finding some great success in terms of launching campuses. Yeah, it's fantastic. Both of those are incredible churches and reminds me of Matt Engel and Glue and you know the great work that uh, that they've done. And I, I probably, this was five years ago, I had a chance to spend some time at LCBC and they had this, it was amazing. They, they were in the middle of one of their, um, you know, kind of capital campaigns and they literally had a room built. It was like a, a brochure for the campaign that you stepped into. It was an amazing, it's a super small, just a tactic, but I loved that and said to David and his team, like, I'm like, I'm definitely stealing this in the future. They were using it as an opportunity when they were having kind of one-on-one or small group meetings about the campaign, um, which, yeah. I just, which I just loved. It was such a cool thing. I'd never seen anybody do that before. It was literally like the entire four walls. It was like an experience, again, small small room just basically an office that was converted uh, and i thought that i thought was really cool there uh, it's a great church for sure well i appreciate you being on the show today greg anything else you want to share before uh, we wrap up here well you know just one last thing i'll share i think it's uh, i think this is an important one particularly that you know have 10 or more campuses and i think we're beginning to see some um, new ways of thinking about centralized uh, support um, and this came out of our conversation and our experience at Chick-fil-A. And we were Chick-fil-A. When you drive up to their headquarters, there's nothing that says headquarters. It says Chick-fil-A Support Center. Um, so everything that they mm. do from a central perspective is about uh, ensuring and supporting the success of an individual store operator. Um, and so one of the things that was mm. really kind of a, a new way to begin to think about centralized support, many of the churches kind of voiced while we were there, we've really been more about central control than we have been about central support. Um, and right. so I think it's kind of it's kind right. of turning that idea on its head a little bit. One of the ways that Chick-fil-A is able to execute that well is they have a business consultant that's kind of a, a go-between between the store operators and the, and the central administration, the central support center. And two things happen with that. One is it helps to accomplish some of the quality control and the consistency that we want and um, we talk about, you know, how central supports, you know, a, a campus. But the other thing that was really cool about that is we know that all innovation happens typically at the edge. And so they were because they had this business mm-hmm. consultant kind of relationship, um, some of the innovative things that were happening at a store level were able to be brought back up to a corporate level and received in such a way that they weren't just seen as a, you know, a, a rogue store trying to do their own thing. But really, something that would potentially mm-hmm. be something that could be. Uh, have it po- really positive impact on their business. And so Chick-fil-A sauce, that's how it got created. And we all love Chick-fil-A sauce. It got created because mm-hmm. a store mm-hmm. operator uh, developed it and started using it in his store. And because they had this central support structure and this consultant in place, some of those ideas were able to flow back and forth. So I think there's going to be some really new things and exciting things that are going to be happening in that space uh, that will support the continued growth um, of multi-site as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Similar to the story, you know, the Big Mac was invented by a uh, almost a rogue um, 
you know, franchisee who came up with that idea. And, um, you know, up until that point, they didn't have, McDonald's didn't have uh, any buns with, and it sounds crazy to, that it was, a, you know, an innovation, but any buns with sesame seeds on it, it was considered like against the system. And, uh, you know, it became obviously wildly popular and became a huge part of their menu. And Chick-fil-A sauce, like you mentioned, it's the same same thing there. That's, that's incredible. Well, Greg, I appreciate you being on the show today. I, I really am just so thankful for all your work over the years. I'm excited about the new study. I love when, uh, you know, the studies that you've done over the years or, or sponsored over the years around multi-site are, to me, are like foundational leadership things that uh, if we're in this multi-site world, we need to be devouring and understanding. So I'm excited to see whatever that is that comes out uh, in the future. If people want to track with you or with Leadership Network, what's the best way for them to do that? Where should they be following along? Sure, you bet. Our website is leadnet, L-E-A-D-N-E-T dot org. Um, and you can also reach me on Twitter at, at Greg Ligon, G-R-E-G-L-I-G-O-N. And uh, my email address, email address is greg.ligon at leadnet.org. Thanks so much, Greg. Appreciate you being on the show. You bet. Thanks, Rich. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary.